How come Zechariah is called a prophecy, and why is Mary's called a song? And is that the Bible just not acknowledging that God would work through a woman in the same way he would work through a man? Welcome to the Ask Anything podcast, because some things are better said than read. My name is Peter LaRuffa, and today I'm going to answer a question, but I've had to rework the question so that it's a little clearer. Sometimes I have to look into what somebody's really saying. Sometimes there's a question behind the question. And so here's what I think is being asked in this question. Uh, is the Bible down on women, or is the Bible anti-woman? Um, and they specifically want to know, what about Mary's song versus Zachariah's prophecy? In Luke chapter 1. And so if we look in Luke chapter 1, uh, when Mary is talking to uh, Elizabeth, when she goes to visit her and she is, uh, she's already been uh, told that she is pregnant with uh, the Messiah, with the Son of God, and she goes to visit Elizabeth, uh, there's a section title there that usually you find right before Luke 146 that says Mary's Song of Praise or it's also known as Mary's Magnificat or the Magnificat. Now, if you go down to when Zechariah is prophesying, uh, that section title says Zechariah's Prophecy. Why is what Mary does considered a song and what Zechariah does is considered a prophecy? They look fairly similar. They sound fairly similar as you read through them. How come Zechariah's is called a prophecy and why is Mary's called a song? And is that the Bible just not acknowledging that God would work through a woman in the same way he would work through a man? And so before I get into it, I'll just like spoiler alert. Heck no. That's not what the Bible is saying at all. And that's certainly not even what these section titles are saying. So first of all, you need to understand section titles, chapters, and verses, they're not part of the original text of Scripture. They're added in later on. They're well-intended. They're navigational tools. But they're added in later on so that we can better navigate ourselves around the Bible. But the section titles are... Yeah, they're, they're not part of the original inspired word of God. Like I said, they're just like signposts. They're just uh, helpful tools for us to navigate ourselves around the word of God. Um, most times, though, the section titles are right. This time, the section title is exactly right. And what I want to call your attention to is a couple of things. First, in Luke 1 and verse 46... Um, when Mary is talking, uh, the text of Scripture, so let's put the section titles aside. The text of Scripture in verse 146 says, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. Now, the word there translated said from the Greek is the Greek word lego, uh, which is used as a wide use throughout the New Testament, but never used to refer to divine prophecy. So what Mary is saying here is not considered prophetic. It's just something that Mary's saying. It's no less wonderful, but it's something Mary is saying. It's not considered prophecy. If you skip down to Luke 1 and verse 67, what the Word of God says, put the section titles aside, what verse 67 says is this, and his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, and then he goes on to say what he was saying. And that's the Greek word prophetuo, uh, which is actually used way more narrowly throughout the New Testament and only ever refers to divine prophecy. And so you could put the section titles aside and just see from the Word of God itself, Luke 146 says Mary said, Luke 167 says Mary prophesied. But there's a couple of other things that I want to call to your attention. You'll also notice that in Luke 1.41, it said that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. 
In Luke 1.67, it says that Zechariah was also filled with the Holy Spirit. Nowhere does it say that Mary was filled with the Holy Spirit. That's not coming down on Mary. That's not saying that what Mary was doing was poor or bad or sinful or wrong. Not at all. I'm just saying there's a difference in seeing two people who are filled with the Holy Spirit than one of whom says they are prophesying versus one person who was not filled with the Holy Spirit at the time but was rejoicing and was singing a song of worship to her very God. You need to keep in mind that the Holy Spirit did not indwell believers on a constant, consistent basis until Pentecost, which we read about in Acts chapter 2. And so there would be a filling of the Holy Spirit for a need that would be met at the time, but it would be temporary in nature. And so the fact that Mary was not filled with the Holy Spirit at that time doesn't make her any less important. She was giving birth to the Son of God. She's pretty important. However, she would not have been prophesying at that time. But still what she said was wonderful. Uh, still what she said was absolutely beautiful. It's been the inspiration of songs. We sing, uh, we sing a song, uh, He Who Is Mighty, in our church, uh, which is really modeled after Mary's Magnificat. It's a wonderful portion, one of the most beautiful portions of Scripture, so filled with emotion and love and joy, it's just not considered prophecy. It's a heartfelt response of, of, of worship. It's, it's overflowing with happiness and hope, but it's just not considered prophecy because if you look at what Mary's saying, she's looking back on what God has done, and the only thing that she really says to look forward is that all generations will call me blessed, and that she says in verse 48. Uh, there's nothing really specific, and there's nothing really uh, prophetic about what she's saying, but there's a ton of love and a ton of worship in what she's saying. If you look at what Zechariah is saying, uh, Zechariah, not only is it considered prophecy, but he's very specific as he looks forward, beginning in Luke 1 and verse 7. He says this, and you child will be called the prophet of the most high for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and their forgiveness of sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. That's unbelievably forward-looking. It's looking straight into the future, and it's pretty specific. And what you need to understand is that biblical prophecy is always forward-looking and pretty specific. It's not like what people claim to be prophetic nowadays, where many times somebody will be saying uh, they have a word from the Lord and God's going to do a great thing in this city. That's more of a prayer request than it is a prophecy. That's very general. Uh, God could be, do what does that mean? That we're going to have good weather, that we're going to be blessed financially, that the gospel is going to go forward. It's very vague. It's very general. Most times when you look at biblical prophecy, it's forward-looking and it's pretty specific because it is the very word of God. But see, this is the thing. The reason I like talking about these things is because I also want to add this before I close. Most times when somebody says, I believe that the Bible is anti-woman or uh, against women or not good for women, not only is the text of scripture that they're talking about not anti-woman, but it actually shows something greater about the woman or greater about God's heart for women. And so it's really fun to look at what people are looking at the word of God to say this is against women and say not only is it not against women, it's actually really for women. And so in this example, I think this is a great example. Uh, when you look at uh, the angel visiting Zechariah, the angel Gabriel visits Zechariah and says uh, what will happen um, to his wife Elizabeth and Zechariah looks back and he asks, uh, how can this be? 
Uh, let me see if I could find it for you right here. Uh, Luke 1 and verse 18. Zechariah said to the angel, angel Gabriel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And Zechariah, what Zechariah uh, is said is, is, is judged by the angel of the Lord to be a lack of faith, to be doubtful, to be in some way, shape, or form uh, sin, because just a few verses later, uh, Gabriel, I love, well, actually, just the next verse, verse 19, the angel said, answered him, I'm Gabriel. It's kind of like, what's my name? I'm Gabriel, which I really love. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. So an appropriate flex on the part of Gabriel. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place. Why, Gabriel? He says, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And Zechariah is struck mute and does not speak until he prophesies when these things come to pass. Now, Gabriel, same angel, visits Mary, which we start reading about in Luke 1 and verse 26, who's a virgin, who's betrothed to Joseph. And she says, uh, excuse me, he says, the angel Gabriel says, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Most times when angels visit people, the first thing they say is, do not fear, fear not, don't die, calm down. It was a scary encounter. And Luke 1.30 is no different. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. Now, remember Zechariah asked the angel Gabriel a question? Did you ever notice Mary asked the same thing? Luke one thirty four, or not the same thing, but also asked a question. Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? But here, the angel Gabriel handles her question differently. He just answers. And so what we see in the text there is Zechariah's question is shown to be one of doubt, one of unbelief. Mary's question is, so, is shown to be one of just clarity, like, how will this be? If How can I be pregnant with a child if I've not had sex? It's a, it's a fair question. It's not unbelief. It's looking for clarification. And therefore, she's not struck mute. There's no punishment. And her response in Luke 138 is this. Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And so here, not only is this section of scripture not down on women, I think it actually exalts Mary because of her response. She's the example that we're to follow, not Zechariah who doubted the angel and was struck mute, but Mary who believed the angel from the get-go, surely had clarifying questions. How am I going to have a baby if I haven't had sex? It's a fair question, Mary. We don't blame you. But then the angel answers her but doesn't accuse her or judge her for her question. And so this is an example of when somebody could look at this situation and say, Look at these section titles. The Bible's down on women. And you'd look back and say, well, no. The section titles were added later on as navigational tools. They're not down on women. But number two, these section titles are actually accurate if you look at the actual text. What Mary was doing was not called prophecy. What Zechariah was doing was. But furthermore, Mary's actually the example here that we want to follow. Mary's response of one of heartfelt worship and devotion to God she wants clarifying questions. Would you not ask a clarifying question if you had an angel before you? Of course you would, especially if you were told you were pregnant and you were still a virgin. You'd have questions. Mary asks a clarifying question, but it's not doubt. It's still with full faith in God. And we see that throughout her pregnancy, through her visit with Elizabeth, through her Magnificat, as she talks about how joyful she is to be used by God in this way. Obviously confused and bewildered, but full of joy to have been a handmaiden of the Lord. And so once again, I would want to uh, just close by saying this. Not only is the Bible not anti-woman, but it's actually one of the most 
pro-woman, if you will, I know that's a rough term, pro-woman books out there, and Christianity is one of probably the kindest religion to women than any religion on the face of the planet. If you talk to somebody who's converted to Christianity from Islam or from Hinduism, and I have, I remember when we were living in New York, you would talk to them and they'd be like, this religion's pretty cool for women. Like, we're all have, you know, Romans 3, 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, not especially women. Men, women, young, old, boy, girl, doesn't matter. All have sinned. The, the, the playing field is level at the foot of the cross. That's incredibly empowering to all people, and especially to women who would have come out of a situation or a worldview where they would be viewed as lower than men just because of their gender. And so not only is the Bible and Christianity not anti-woman, it's one of the most pro-women, pro-people, pro-human religions, probably the most pro-people, pro-women, pro-human religions, because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life to anyone who will believe, man, woman, child, adult, from any tribe and every nation, and all at some, there'll be representatives of all people, all tribes, all tongues, all nations, both men and women, worshiping the Lord for all of eternity. And we really look forward to that day.